So, hello, Robert. You're talking again. This is our third call, and that you seem to be practicing what we had been talking about, um, at least somewhat. Yeah. Then you ask the question, where do we go from here, or where do we go next? Mm. And that uh, that in in some and in fact in most ways is uh, a wrong, the wrong question to ask. Um, a much more appropriate question. It doesn't. In some context, it is. What what you do next has to do with where you are. Mm. Mm. And so if you're ready for something next, then there is a next. Mm. But if you're not ready for uh, next because you're not finished with where you are, then next is the same old, same old. It's the mm. same thing. Mm. Um, and so a hint of the next is, is that once you get the mind completely wholesome, then the noting starts. In reality, the noting starts. The real noting starts is, is talked about noting in the sense of uh, observing one by one as they occur a whole, whole long list of wholesome thoughts or wholesome things to look at. However, that next is not the next next. It mm. is next. Mm. The is next is uh, to establish that first jhana, to be able to go into it and to maintain it. Mm, mm. And you're not there yet. Yeah, so I have to be able to keep it ever present. Okay. Well, ever present is a Western word, and it really is almost always critical in the sense of finding the times when you don't do it and mm. we're looking at it in the sense of when we are doing it mm. not when we're not doing it that when we see we're not doing we immediately do it and then we're doing it yeah if yeah the question is how long is immediately oh right right yeah yeah how long does it take and that's the skill that is developed this is actually discussed in the suttas. It's in the Angatar, and uh, uh, in, I think it's in the threes, and there's a reason for it to be in the threes that we won't talk about right now. But rather that the two primary skills that you have to do now is, and they work one and then the other. In other words, whenever you're not in jhana, work for getting it into it quickly. And when you're in jhana, work on maintaining it without thinking about something else and falling out of it. Mm. Mm. That, that in fact, we're already on the path in the first jhana of what to do with the first jhana just by being able to maintain the first jhana. Mm. That's the first thing that we have to do is to keep noting, to keep remembering that I am watching every thought and making sure that every thought right now is wholesome. Not every thought is right or wholesome all day long or from now on. But while we're in the first jhana, 
that's what we're going to do to maintain that first jhana is to make sure that now every thought is wholesome. Mm, mm. Yeah, gotcha, this gotcha. is what we go in and in the jhana factors, this is the expression of applied and sustained thought to apply it onto the wholesome and then to maintain the guard of staying on the wholesome. This is the point where almost all of the students have trouble is they're not actually able to enter into the first jhana and abide in the first jhana because they're still trying to establish the first jhana and the establishment of the first jhana is being able to maintain it. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. Maintain it now, right now, always now, yeah. Well, whenever you're working with it, when because it's easy to come up and then go back out. Mm. That in fact, that's the, the, the normal condition of the mind. So if you're in the vicinity of jhana, then it means you're going to pop in and out of it. We need to see what popping in is all about, which means getting in the vicinity of it, or another way of saying it is intentionally gathering the factors together. Mm. And that the intentionally gaining the factors together would be applying then the mind to those factors. Mm, and mm. then once we have those factors, we're going to make sure that we're sustaining them because that mm. sustaining is actually a quality of it. That's what we need to start looking at first. That's in fact the first item on the list then that if we can say what's next, what's next is applied and sustained thought. Mm. So it's sort of so, sort of like the factors you're 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 picking them up and you're kind of holding them, and when one of them falls down, you you scoop it back up. But how right. fast can you I, scoop it back up? Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, when that thought happens, that is the falling down or the unwholesome thought about something that's uh, and it can be fleeting. It can be so fleeting in the sense that it can be, uh, let us say. Uh, the screen where you do emails, you do the same screen with the same screen colors. So you can just have a ten, uh, tenth of a second flash. Mm. Of that email screen. Do you know that you just had that flash? And can mm. you say, aha, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Did you even catch it happening? Okay, can you begin to catch the mind wandering away, not catch the mind having wandered away? Mm, mm. Okay, mm. this is what we're talking about: is catching the mind wandering away while it's while it's in the moment that it's getting that it's wandering. Yeah, right. While it starts to wander, or as it is wandering, and you see that wandering immediately. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Aha, uh -huh, I see that one too. Yeah, yeah. All right, because that aha uh -huh has a um, has the quality of reissuing and rebringing up uh, the pleasure, or you can think of that also as just another dopamine hit. And what we're doing here is we're sustaining a kind of level of dopamine. Mm, mm, mm. OK, but you have to keep pumping the pump. You have to keep hitting it over and over and over and over again. 
in the beginning, we want to practice doing that over and over and over again, at least on once on the in-breath and once on the out-breath. That's why we're talking about it in the sense of sati, mm. on the long in-breath, and sati on the long out-breath. As we begin to get skillful with that, then we begin to apply that sati to the mind itself so that we're watching every thought. Mm. Mm. And doing it in the sense of long, deep thoughts as opposed to silly, shallow thoughts. All right. Thoughts of wholesome thoughts of, wow, this is so nice. Not thoughts of I got work to do because thoughts of I got work to do is the hindrance kind of mind state that is Mm. unsatisfactory. Mm. It is unsatisfactory because you've just given yourself an assignment that you've done off into the future. Mm, mm. That's why all of this stuff is so important about being in the present moment. Because that's the whole show of all of the jhanas is getting into easily into the present moment and then how deep into the present moment you can get. Or maybe another way of saying it is how relaxed into the present moment you can get. A lot relaxed and alert. Mm, mm. Yes, it's sort of like this. I've I've noticed there is there is depths to how much, how wholesome a thought is, or like there's certainly a, a, a like a distinct level where it pops from unwholesome to wholesome, but above that there's there's like there's kind of depths. So like I could have a thought about work that normally I think was wholesome because you know I I felt inspired and motivated to do it, and and that wasn't coming from what I thought was like a place of wanting to escape the present moment, but even still that that's sort of still got that subtle quality there. And it can it can go more wholesome and and you know in some ways I think the phenomena kind of the 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 way the thought expresses exactly itself can change a little bit. Right. So another way that we're talking about it is while you're in that state, one of the things to do to sustain it is is to play with how wholesome can this thought be. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's something I was sort of already doing, just like toying around with it, sort of. As a form of self-entertainment, but yeah, no, yeah, that's that's interesting, yeah. Yes, totally. How wholesome? Around. Yeah, how wholesome can yeah. we get this? This how much yeah, how how, how much PT can we get? You know. So. Well, uh, not necessarily because that kind of wholesome thought is a cause effect that you put into right. it. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the thought of how wholesome can the thought be has the quality of enjoying that thought for how wholesome it is rather than getting a load of it yeah like generating this some is other very subtle it is but, it is it's very tricky thank you for pointing that out because that's a, that's a trap that i was falling into was was I'd, I'd feel like some strong some strong um physical euphoria pt right and right it and i try to intensify has, it and a lot of times that i try to intensify it it would actually it would actually lose it because because i'd be i'd be resisting because you're trying that's yeah, exactly yeah, because right i'd be trying uh-huh. This is the so whole it's, point. It's like so counterintuitive. It's all about relaxation. It really is. Yeah. And um, uh, you see, that goes against the whole grain of the way that we have been trained our whole lives. And it also goes on with the issue of the instincts that we have this self preservation instinct built within because. The jungle has always been a jungle. Mm. 
But the problem is, is that now humanity is no longer in the jungle. They brought the jungle with them. Mm. Mm. And they did that way with their genes. In other words, our uh, the current genes of humanity has not caught up to uh, the level of sophistication of our civilization. Mm. And so most people who are in this civilization are not up to, let us say, citizenship grade because they're not using their human mind. They're still stuck in their instincts as if they were still in the forest. Mm, mm. Uh, And that instinctual thinking is the natural order of it because it takes work to, uh, to use that frontal cortex. Mm, it's like an energy, energy maintenance. Right. And yeah. so um, the the reptilian brain doesn't use much effort or energy. It's just kind of always there. It's been along. I mean, the reptilian brain is the remnants of a cold blooded animal. Everything is just as it is, you know, and then they have instant striking power, but they don't have any endurance at all. One of the things that makes a human a human is the fact that we can outlast things. 10 or 20 minutes. I I was very, very surprised at one time when I was uh, because of a car breakdown. Mm. I had to walk and had to take the dog with me because I couldn't leave her in the car. This was a great day. And I outwalked the great Dane. I had to stop waiting for her because I just tired her out. Oh, my word. And I am not up to shape, never have been or ever cared to be. But dogs just do not have the endurance to go mile after mile. In, in general. Now, some dogs can get up to that, but your average human and your average dog now, the human cannot walk a dog because they don't have that endurance. Mm, mm. Uh, and, and there's all kinds of things like that also that in fact, one of the secrets to alligator wrestling is because the alligator wrestlers already know that they can tear the alligator out if they can survive getting him tired out, they're already one. Mm, Which yeah. is exactly the same thing that what Muhammad Ali did. He yeah, yeah. Yeah, He's yeah, tire them out, yeah. Okay, to wire out your opponent. Okay, so people who do not have a fully exercising frontal cortex can get worn out very quickly. And so they stop thinking. But then they don't like mathematics to poor people who are curious. They, when they see math, they want to know exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. Am I still up mm-hmm. to scratch on it? Okay. Yes, yeah. I'm following you, yeah. All right. So um, this whole thing then about the frontal cortex being something that needs to be exercised and put into gear intentionally over and over again so that we can take over these ordinary um uh, habitual, both habitual and instinctual behaviors mm. that wind us being in dukkha all the time. And one mm. of the qualities then that we have as humans is, is that this is not ever good enough. We want more. We want better. And that's the problem with humanity. That's, in fact, you could go so far as to say that's the teaching of the Buddha. Why do people suffer? over not being satisfied with what they've got right now. Mm. Desire, yeah, desire and suffering. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it comes, the actual desires themselves are actually the feeling system 
An exa clear example is fear because fear is the most basic feeling. It's the most basic feeling. And the reason and uh, interrelationships with that is because that's the language of the self-preservation instinct. Mm. And that many times in your life you have remained alive because you did not go do something what we would call stupid. But the reality is, is that you did something you did not do something because it caused great fear in you, mm. which up education. So you don't go there. Yeah, yeah. So we've we've really we've been trained to rely on this fear. Yeah. Well, not just trained. We wouldn't have survived from before the training. Before there was ever any training, mm. there was mm. this instinct. That's why yeah. we call it instinct. It's the, it's the genetics and the yeah and the. It's the, the genetics. Training. Yeah. And that any species that goes up fearless grows up no more generations after that. They're all extinct. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Good point. That, that fear is what causes an antelope or a giraffe to run away from and fight with uh, lions while they're attacking. Mm. If the giraffe was just okay and everything was fine, and when the uh, lions attack, here, have this arm. <laughs> How many yeah. giraffes that yeah. have left? <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's yeah, it's, it's like a it's like a baby, right? I've heard this this talked about where there's like, is a baby enlightened? Like the baby can't be enlightened because the baby hasn't gone through the process of being unenlightened yet. You know. So like the uh, baby might just do it because it it doesn't understand that the drop that the like I don't know maybe like a tiger or something's dangerous. It might I, just like I can him. imagine ordinary people. Buddha would know like no. about enlightenment would in fact have those kind of conversations. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's probably some a lot of misconceptions. Right. Well, now here's the point. If a very tender, this is out of the sutras. If a very tender infant, it touches uh, with his hand or his foot a hot, glowing cold, the hand will withdraw first before the child tears up and bawls. Hmm. And that if you've noticed, you've had reaction times to that also, that somebody touches you, you're surprised, the knee-jerk reaction, or what we call the startle effect. Mm. Startle effect mm. comes deep, deep within the, um, uh, out of the amygdala, and it controls the reflexes instantly. People literally jump. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, before you even know what's happened, you've already like... You do not know what's yeah. happened. This is instinctual reflex, mm. all right? And that same speed of that instinctual reflex is the kind of things that will happen also in the mind that will start pumping you full of fear, and you can't figure out why. Why? Where does this anxiety come from? Do you need to match that level of speed with your but, um, wholesome thoughts to... to uh, sustain sort of what we might call like a, a permanent state of enlightenment well no or at least the first for a permanent thing we're <laughs> right we're, right we're, of course, the, yes. the skill that we're looking for developing is the skill of sati to remember because your natural state of mind is being asleep and here yeah, you're yeah. saying i want to stop nature no what you want to use do is become friends with your nature 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and to wake up to it and to keep waking up and to keep waking up. And even though you've woken up 10,000 times, the next time you wake up, you don't fuss at yourself for having gone back to sleep. That's the natural state. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you, I, think I was, when you, uh, yeah, I was getting when you a bit wake up in the morning. Like... When you wake up in the morning, do you beat yourself with a uh, with a belt because you had slept during the night? No, no, of course not. When yeah. when you get hungry, do you uh, take a knife and slit your stomach open in revenge for having hunger pains? No, no, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. No, you know these instincts are going to be there. It's not that you're going to destroy them. It's that you're going to conquer them with friendship. I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> That's that's it's it's so true. It's so true because as soon and 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 I noticed this in my in, in my sets over the last four days. It's as soon as soon as I it's like I said before. As soon as I want to con to I say conquer it with something other than friendship, that it just compounds the negativity even further. Now it's, you're beginning to see that it's, it's the most Look like counterintuitive. It. Like it's so it's it's crazy. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Okay. Yeah. It's like so, what you resist persists. There's that like truism, that, that quote. Yeah. There is a sutta that I use that fits in with this directly. In fact, it is one of the key ingredients. The name of the sutta is two kinds of thought. And that it is number 19 in the Majjhima Nikaya. Mm. And in there, uh, even though it goes in great links talking about what is wholesome and unwholesome is doing it in the uh, uh, the sing songy Buddha kind of way that nobody really understands. Uh, but in the sense of um, having thoughts that are not greedy, not ill will and not um, uh, let us say harmful mm. parts. And yet that harmful one uh, which in, in Buddhism, you probably heard of the word abhihimsa. I've heard, I've, and, and yeah, abhi, yeah, yeah. Ab, abhihimsa is to uh, refrain from doing harm. It's, it's used in, associated, in association with panatipata. Um, uh, now, panha, pan, uh, uh, pana is, in fact, the breathing. And pada has to do with taking the breath. So taking some breath away mm. is mm. Uh, what is normally concerned with killing. That's why part of the mm. jokes in Asia is it's okay to eat fish because fish don't breathe. And, right, and, right. That's curious. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, and so um, this word, um, uh, abhihimsa, or uh, harmlessness, Hmm. If we are in, if we're worried, we're harming ourselves. But when you hear that in the sutta, you kind of wonder what it is and keep going on without really going into the depths of. Yeah, what, you don't what take in what's just been said and the magnitude of it. Right. That, that readers are get into reading as the, as the issue of the more they read, the better off they are. Hmm. And what I have found is generally the suttas are in three phases generally. Sometimes they're in a great big two phase, and then those two phases are broken each into three pieces. 
which indicates that sometimes it looks like two different sutures were just sort of jammed together. That happens. Mm. But in general, there's a beginning and a middle and an end of the sutta. And that uh, normally the first part of it is kind of the setup or the situation or the question at hand. Uh, and then the middle part of it um, <clears throat> uh, has to do with context and whatever. And then the real zinger is dropped at the end. An example of that is, uh, I think it's number 120, where the end of the sutta, where it ends up is, he says, oh monks, therefore do not be reborn. Mm. Well, wait a minute, what does that mean, not be reborn? Because uh, everything that we've ever heard about rebirth in, in the sense of the, the magical uh, mm. or the religious way is, is that uh, your comma of the past determines your future. Mm. But the Buddha in this context was actually, and the people who are translating that thinks that that's what he's meant, which means that last statement, the whole point of the sutta doesn't make any sense when you're yeah. thinking about it yeah. that way. But when you think about it, that when you're harming yourself, you've been reborn as one who is harming. Mm. Mm. In that moment, yeah. and that's what the Buddha is actually meaning in that sutta is do not do this kind of stuff. Watch what you're doing. Stay out of that kind of mentality. It's not over long periods of time. Another issue this kind of amusing is, is that if the Buddha is talking about be here now and don't worry about the past, doesn't he mean the deeper the past, the further back it is, the less relevant it actually is? Mm. Maybe at the absolute immediate past so that we can see the cause effect relationship with the further you go back into the past, the less relevant it is. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that means that the actual teachings of rebirth seems to have come from someplace else because the Buddha was very specific. He only teaches one thing, and that is Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. He does not teach magic tricks. He Mm. does not. Uh, pre- uh, preach uh, prestidigitation. He does not preach flying around or, or diving into the dirt. He does not teach, um, um, let us say, the level of stuff that Mahavir practiced. Have you ever, you haven't been to India, perhaps you've seen movies of the Jain priest where they always carry a broom to sweep their walk in front of them and they have been wearing uh, masks mm. for centuries. Mm. Why? Because I haven't seen it, but but uh, they already know that um, germs are in the air and that if you breathe them, it is going to be war inside your body with them. Right. Right. Yeah. And they've known that for centuries, you see, because the the um, uh, the Jains are the ones who went way over the hill about non harming. Mm. But the book mm. always takes the middle path. Yeah. So they, they went all the way into to feeling good and the bliss states and the you know not hurting anything well actually they went all the way into trying to get there by doing good actions by not killing anything right right to the karma yoga as opposed as opposed to the the uh the the the, well they did they did some jhanas didn't didn't they james um i might be getting confused well there's always Back into deep history, there have been these jhana states because these jhana states are natural human states that people use from time to time. 
An example of that would be the two of us were out in the wilderness. Um, I'll get back to Sutta number 19 in just a moment, but we'll finish this one. Um, they were out in the wilderness hunting and we see a, uh, a boar and the boar sees us and it tears off uh, into the thickets. Mm. And here we go, we're running and we got to keep an eye on that uh, uh, hog because if we lose sight of it, we'll lose him completely. Mm. And so we have to fire through the brambles and the bushes and the rabbits and everything like that. And we don't care because we're going to get that hog for dinner. Our yeah. depends upon it and we're after that hog and we're going to chase him down. OK, yeah, yeah. that is very, very similar to first jhana. Yeah, yeah, it's like a runner's high. It's that flow state absorption, highly focused. You know, every, not, all of your mental faculties need to be getting that ball. I would not use the word absorbed. Absorbed? No. Why not? No, absolutely not. Because you got to watch where you're going. This is not some blind absorption. Mm. You've got to watch mm. where you're going. You've got to keep your eye on that thing. This is skin in the game. This is not getting lost. Absorbed, mm. flooded, mm. underwater. This is on top yeah, of the game. Yeah, I get what. You, yeah, it does. It does. It does carry those connotations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's it's, it's like what you said before about being alert as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we can go a little bit deeper into that in the fact that um, there is some skills, and uh, perhaps at that time you could say that those runners could in fact be something like a first jhana and then something like a second jhana in the sense that they are not distracted. Mm, mm. That in fact you could go for this, they call it in Schwartz, they call it going into the flow where you're really, really, really there. Mm. Absolutely. And if you start having thoughts about what's for supper, you just got a broken nose. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's the whole point is, and that's one of the reasons why good martial artists make good meditation students. Yeah, yeah. They've already been in the position that they don't pay attention. They just got hurt. And you have, you have. And you have to be relaxed as well as alert in order to have those fast reaction times, because if you're all tensed up in the ring, you won't you You're won't see things already coming. lost. Yeah. Yes, and it hurts already. more when your muscles like like tensed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Not only that, when you hit, it hurts. Yeah. 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 If you're all tensed up. No. Yeah. Okay, you're slower so and I, everything. Yeah. That's that's right. a really cool. Yeah. And so this is something to begin yeah, to understand that these jhana states are normal, natural human behavior. Mm. Mm. And that what happens is with meditators who are practicing wrongly, they still have these jhana states from time to time. They kind of slip into them. It's almost like if you go hiking on the side of the mountain, the likelihood of you falling off the side is very great. <laughs> mm. Mm. And so they fall into it momentarily as a big splash. It's a big deal. But then they wonder how they got there and what what is all of this. And, and it brings on confusion and whatever like that when it happens by accident. But it's always been going on by accident because this is the human mind is capable of that. Here's another example of it, and that is a Formula One racer who has walked the track. He knows every inch of it. And now in the race, he's out there on that track. And he's got to pay attention, not just to the track, but to 
condition of the track and how it's changing with the other motorists on there as well as what they're doing and whatnot like that. Now, because it's a Formula One race and it's not always as secure as the ones at uh, Indianapolis, and those are not mm. really secure, but an old lady wanders out on the, um, the track right in front of you. If you have the thought, old lady, you won't not be here, you would just killed her. Hmm. Mm. Why? Because you're going at a, such a speed, you've got to pay attention to what's going on, and ex, any strain on your thoughts out someplace else is going to be deadly. And guess what? A lot of racers die. Why do they die? Because they're not paying attention to what's going on. That mm. mm. the very, very best racers are the ones who watch what's going on. Literally, I mean, I, I cannot tell you how important this point is, is that in some sports and other conditions, if that sportsman is not paying attention, he's dead and he knows that. This is why in some cases within Buddhism, you have you heard of practice like your hair is on fire? Mm, I have, yeah. Okay, well, this is the whole thing. And we also want to do it in the sense of being able to get ready for some of the tests that we need to take. All right, like Vika Buddhadasa talks about illness is a good opportunity to practice. Mm. But you could also think of it is, is that the entire process of this is taking lemon and making lemonade. That's the only thing that we've got to do. It's almost like a switch. Yeah, do could do At any time yeah. you have a choice. You can either go for the way you've been doing things or you can try something new. All right. Okay. So with this in mind, let's start into this sutta number 19 because there's a story in it. Let's get into and, it. And the story is, is that there is a, um, a cow herd that is herding his cows. Now, this is ancient India. We're not talking about the uh, Chisholm Trail. We're not talking about doggies and horses and thousands of cattle going. We're talking mm. about just one farmer guy that's got maybe 8, 10, 12 cows his whole life is wrapped up in those cows and he has to get them from his pen out to pasture but in order to do that he uh, has to follow a path that goes into kind of a built-up area or a village where there's some food stalls some kids playing some stuff around like that and so the cow herd carries a stick with them always carries that stick and he's going to whack a cow if the cow tries to take a um, piece of fruit or carrot off of somebody's stall or if the cows are not watching where they're going and about to trample on the kid cow herd's got to be right here in the middle of those cows so he can whack these guys because if he in fact just lets them go out into the village they'll destroy the village the villagers will be so unhappy with him that he will lose all of his cows they'll take them mm. got no choice about it okay so he's got to watch where those cows are headed once he gets the cows beyond that place and gets them out to pasture, the cows will now be grazing. So that means that their heads are down. And all he has to do now is to just stand and watch and guard them. He doesn't have to hit them anymore. That in fact, he can go and sit out under a tree and relax and yeah, just kind yeah. of keep an eye on them. Mm. Okay. And I think you know where this is going because it is, in fact, Keeping the cows in line is when we're teaching the mind to get out of the hindrances, that every hindered mind is like the cow 
stepping on something that it ought not be stepping on or grabbing something to eat that it ought not be grabbing for or whatever like that. Mm. And so mm. we want to have the kind of quality of being able to whack the mind. This is also the quality of, aha, I see you, Myra. It's like, whack, you're not going to mm. get that. Mm. Oh, you stay on this path, doggy. Okay. That's the way that we look at it is that we're going to work so that we get every thought step at a time wholesome. Mm. And so and the whole I, 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 know, I know what you mean with the, the whacking analogy because it feels like work in the beginning. It feels like mm -hmm. you're hurting yourself, the cows here. Right. It does uh, because we've never uh, actually taken control over our thoughts before. We just kind of let them happen. Um, that even when kids are learning mathematics, they still don't have that quality of grasping the whole of the mind, of controlling the mind, of seizing the mind, or in this case with the cow herd, whacking the mind. Okay, straighten up, boy. Mm. Stand up. Let's let's go. Okay. And so it's a kind of a get up and go quality of the right effort. And that the uh, the curious part is, is that enthusiasm has a whole lot to play with it. That if there is no enthusiasm, then the effort is great. Suppose the cow herd really doesn't want to go out today. Then mm, mm. not only does he not hit the cows very well, but they don't behave very well either. Yeah, so yeah. He goes out when he's on top of the game. All right, today, cows, we're going to do this thing. Yeah, yeah, the cows so, kind of respect that, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. Well, so does the mind. This is why the attitude is so effective in there, and that attitude is the Sama Sankapa that's, just, uh, that's on the path. Uh, and so they are actually part of, the, part of the practice. And so we could say then that um, the whacking of the cows and keeping them in line is... Uh, uh, gathering together the factors of the first jhana. So that's that's the work that we have to do, the applying of the mind or mm. the skill mm. of the development of getting the mind in the first jhana means that we're going to be doing some whacking for a while. And is, is that what right effort is really referring to then? Exactly. Right there in the sutras, mm. it most specifically states it that way. Yes, brilliant, that brilliant. one's right effort is to remove unwholesome thoughts and place wholesome thoughts. Most specifically, this is right there in the suttas. That's why I'm saying it, to teaching the way that I do is because this is right out of the suttas. Man, I need to read the suttas. <laughs> I've read a lot of a lot of Western books, but I've never read the original. I read the Vishuddhamaga. That's the only like sort of like ancient, like like Buddhist part of the Buddhist canon that I've read that isn't like a like a 21st century interpretation and it's, like it's, there was, there was not, so much it's like not um, canon and it's not buddhist well there was so much like like magical stuff like it was like you have to sit under this particular type of tree if you're this monk and that was like i like i got like you know i i, I got like a couple pages in and i started skimming around and and, and i was like I can't, I can't go through like 500 more pages of this so i, I just sort of gave up on that but i need to um Guess what? It gets well, worse. some of the suttas, you, right? I, you, I don't want to read the whole thing at once, like you said. Yeah, it it gets it gets worse. Oh man, yeah. But let's not do Vasudhimaga right now. Let's yeah. stay with what's in what's more absolutely, uh, absolutely. In, in line with the suttas. So, as the cow herd gets out of town, out of the village, 
he heads towards the pasture, probably rice fields where it's got a lot of stubble as well as shack. So there's mm. plenty enough for the cows to eat. And while they're eating, what they're doing now is nourishing and they're being wholesome. And they've got their heads down. And so now the cow herd doesn't have to sit with the cows anymore or stand there with them or hold that pole with them. All he has to do is kind of keep an eye on them. So he can go and sit under a tree and just kind of keep an eye on them and just watch them. That in fact, the issue is, is that if a cow is going to get up and go, or let us say go someplace, he's going to raise his head and look around about where to go so long as mm -hmm. their heads are down, mm -hmm. everything. But, okay. So that's kind of easy for them. Now the Buddha says it's like this, is that once we get the mind and the wholesome where the cows are, are grazing, and we know that every cow, or in this case, every thought is wholesome, then we can begin to relax that in the sense of beginning to put some gaps in the thought. Mm. Mm. All right. Now, this, what we mean here is, is that in the applied and sustained thoughts, the sustaining has the quality of putting gaps also in there because now it's even more relaxing. Mm. Or another way to say it is, is that now we have a whole lot more thought moments that are not uh, dialogue or vocabulary, but now we're spending more mind moments on investigating of the actual feelings that we have already started to manipulate and take control over with the applied and sustained thoughts of the wholesome thoughts and getting ourselves into a state of sukha. So now the second jhana really is all about experiencing the fruit of the first jhana, which is the pity and the sukha mm -hmm. that we developed. Mm -hmm. Now we're not even going to be trying, trying to talk. It's almost like once you get the the engine running, the starter motor, once it's, it's running, yeah, yeah. now we don't need the starter motor anymore. Okay, yeah. so we don't it's like, need yeah, it's like I like the analogy of like a snowball. Like once it gets big enough, it has its own momentum. It carries itself. Exactly so. So this is what we mean then by once the thoughts are all wholesome. Mm. Which is a training process. This is, in fact, the major training. One of the ways that I talk about it is imagine a violin that's got four strings, first, second, third, fourth, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. In order to play one note on that violin, you have to have the violin. You've mm -hmm. got to have mm -hmm. the, the neck and the curl and the uh, bridge and the, uh, the stops and the, uh, the body of the, uh, and uh, the nuts and one string. So that's like what all that you need to do for the jhanas you need to do all of that in the first jhana just to get one string going. After that, adding string or two or three, easy peasy. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing like building the whole. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So more than 90% of all of the work and effort, in fact, uh, in, the, in regards to right effort, the only time there is any effort is getting into first jhana. After that, now the effort is just to stop efforting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slow the thing down now. Uh, and yeah, it's like so, it's yeah, it's like um, it's like an uh, event horizon of like a black hole. It's kind of starts mm -hmm. sucking you in, yeah. So in in this uh, state, 
what we're doing is beginning to add gaps. Now, a normal meditator who falls into one of these states, but he doesn't really have control over the mind so that he has wholesome and unwholesome thoughts, any unwholesome thought that comes up is going to not only throw him out of first and second jhana, it's going to throw him out of first too, and he's back into ordinary mind. What we're looking for is the development of the first jhana so that when we fall out of second jhana, we fall back into first jhana, not back into self-flagellation. Mm. Mm. This is, again, why first jhana is so important. Yeah, we but don't skip all the way back. Yeah. Right, right. That remember that, that one of the qualities of the first jhana already developed is sukha. You're already mm. out of dukkha when you get into the first jhana. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the rest of it is not necessary. It's just an interesting trip. I love that, man. I love that mindset. <laughs> and that's like that's like the exact mindset I use in my practice to like get into the the first jhana. It's like it's like treat it not as like like you're going somewhere. Just treat it as like you're just enjoying like the scenery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. because all we're going to do is just build it's just on for that fun, joy. Yeah. That things that, right, things are just going to get even more satisfied, just yeah. more relaxed. Just, but also the relaxation has to do with the sharpness of seeing what it is to relax. And so next time we'll talk about going into Paticca Samuppada backwards in the sense of uh, where all of this takes us. Uh, in and also in regard to the actual question, what comes next? So the correct answer then to start off with is, is that uh, in first jhana, everything that you need to do is available in first jhana. But when you're doing it, you're in one of the higher jhanas in order to do it. Mm, that's All very right. interesting. Everything's so, available to you when you're in first jhana, but when right, you're doing- everything is available to you in first jhana, and paying attention to that particular item is what carries you into the higher jhanas. Mm. Okay, so when we take our attention away from applied and sustained thought in first jhana, then we start paying most attention to pity and sukha, most specifically, wow, how good this feels. Wow, this mm. is really nice. That's the second job. All right. The analogy of it is, in fact, I'll go ahead and give you the analogies. We'll take a few moments to do that. The first jhana, the analogy is um, bath powder. But my grandmother made biscuits, so I use the biscuit making thing. And that is you take the uh, the flour and then she would take her fingers and dip it into water and then sprinkle it mm. with water so as to not get too much, just enough so that when you bring all of this together, that you have a ball of dough, that it, there is no place in that dough that does not have the moisture so that there's no white spots or, or ridges or things of dough that hasn't been absorbed with the water, nor is it dripping wet. Mm. that you can't squeeze mm. and get any water out of it. So there's in that in-between place where there's just enough water and that this is the analogy for the first jhana. Now, the water that we're sprinkling on is all of these wholesome thoughts that we're putting into it. Mm. And we keep bringing the wholesome thoughts and just so that all the dryness of our life becomes like 
excellent gooey dough. And you mm. become mind becomes yeah. malleable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Doesn't blow away in the wind. Yes, yes. That's yeah. an amazing quality right there, is that it doesn't blow away in the wind. Because the mind is settled, it's settled into the first jhana. Yeah. Um, it's its own guard. Sometimes I like to like um, sort of re rephrase things just for my own understanding. I've done that like a lot of times, but and also it kind of communicates to you like hopefully I I understood what you said, you know. So like a way that I that I that I was kind of conceptualizing what you said though is you're making the mind malleable. It's sort of like your malleable means like you're more able to control it, and you're more able to control it because you like don't care as much, you know, in an in an attachment like a. Uh, you know, in an emotional attachment sense, you don't care so much about being able to control it, but that is actually what allows you to be able to control it. And that's sort of, that's, that's sort of uh, another way to, well, that, that's I, that I would think all of, of the your first thoughts jhana. have been making it really gushy. Yeah, yeah. But heat makes it all dry back out again. So wet, gushy thoughts will help um, bring the mind together so that it becomes like that, uh, mm. okay, malleable. And mm. uh, so then the analogy for second jhana is one that I really, really like because I've actually had one. And that is the story is, uh, do you know what an artesian well is? They're also called springs where water just springs up out of the ground. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. They had to pull yeah. a foot yeah. of a hill and sometimes in certain springs, seasons, yeah. It's quite a gusher. Yeah, sometimes they're hot. Sometimes, like uh, geysers, will sometimes mm. just have mm. hot water. But we're talking about cool uh, water that's uh, uh, mm. groundwater. But because it's um, elevated, the water table up here, and then the hill comes down so that now the water springs up. So even in the time of the Buddha and the farmers who can find a place like that will dam it up, put a pond there. Mm. Because of this, because it's also generally sometimes seasonal. Not ever, not all year long does that happen. Mm. But I had spring in the backyard of the neighbor that I lived in in Oklahoma, and then later I lived in uh, in Sherall, South Carolina, where the farmer had a, quite a nice little pond that mm. was like this. Fair enough. Yeah. So this this is the thing that in the sunshine, the top of the pond gets warm, the surface water gets warm. But it doesn't go all the way down because of not only the ground temperature, because of this all this gushing water that's coming up mm. from below. And so the swimmers like to go down and swim in that turbulence because it's really exhilarating. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so this is the analogy of the first jhana is, is that when you get that pity going, it's just like all over the place. I mean, yeah, yeah. can you feel? <laughs> yeah. So that's the second, John. This feels so good. You're just really into it when the full-blown first, second, John. It's not just the focus of being in the flow like the sportsman. Because the sportsman, he's in danger. This is <laughs> this is completely opposite of that. It's like how good and how focused can you feel when you feel absolutely the best that you can possibly feel? Mm. I, I, can I? I'll ask a question about something that I've had happen a few times in the second jhana as well. I've had so much like um, 
so much PT, especially like a really strong physical sensation of it, like um, like sort of in my chest, a lot of like heat as well, where it's 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 become like so euphoric that it's become it's felt like it's become too euphoric. But I feel like when I have that unwholesome thought, I've already dropped back out out of jhana altogether. That's exactly so it's, it's, it's sort of like correct. That's what it's happens like a, exactly. It's, it's like the, I just the, the euphoria about is like so much. It's like scary. Yeah. Yes, and in fact, that's exactly what happens. And so if you're going and progressing correctly, then the the way to go is into first jhana. Or if you're skilled in meditation, you can either go into third or, or back into the first jhana. Mm. But the beginner, when he's in second jhana, he crash lands. Yeah, yeah, he can't handle it. Uh, and so in the third jhana, what that means is to take the focus off of the uh, wowness of how good it feels into the relaxation of how good it feels. Mm. Yeah, but you, have a, you have a really good way of explaining these. It's, it really simplifies it. But it's in the sutras. Uh, yeah. It's right there. I mean, <laughs> we have to... Because in fact, all right, so, but in in the second jhana now, we're mostly focusing on the pity, but we can see the pity in the second, in the first jhana. It's when we really begin to focus on it and taking the pity as the object of meditation is when uh, there's no room for thoughts anymore. I I don't want to describe this. I just want to have it. All right. And so as we then take on satisfaction again, rather than the wow of how good this is, but rather, wow, this is just so nice. Because that's the sukha that's of the the quality of the the third jhana. And the analogy of that one is uh, the lotus that's either in a pond or in a moving stream. But when it comes out of the mud, it rises up and the float lotus flower opens. And it's not wet. In the second jhana, it's like the the pity that we're talking about is the wet, the juicy. But when the flower comes in and blows, so you can say now the third jhana is really like the flowering of how nice is it. Mm, mm. And it comes out of the mud and out of the uh, uh, the, the pond or out of the uh, of the flowing stream. And the and the lotus opens, uh, and so the fourth jhana is defined as a shimmering, like uh, imagine a white sheet that you put over the body, so that the body becomes indistinct, where you are and what you are. Then sensations that occur will be that you find feel forty feet tall, or like you're flying through the air. That in fact it's in that fourth jhana where the mudra of touch the earth becomes useful where you're resting uh, your your hand on the right knee, but you do it so much so that you can actually touch the ground with that middle finger just to remind yourself that, yes, you still are on the ground. Mm. That's the only mm. thing you have to do. The only movement that you make in the fourth <laughs> yeah, time yeah. is that touching to, to, to remind yourself that you are not flying through the air, <laughs> that you are not 75 feet tall, Man. that you're not as big as a skyscraper, and that these are all misperceptions of the body itself. Because now what we're at, we're at that level of beginning to see what perception is really all about. 
So in the fourth jhana, that's where we have the descriptions of these things, of various what we do, like the an example is um, at the point of experiencing neither perception or non-perception. What that means is that you watch the consciousness trying to go into perception. That in fact, you only can see consciousness itself by perceiving it so it's turned back around on itself rather than going down the merry path this is why it's very subtle and difficult to talk about but also by doing this we're changing the way that we do normally go in sequence and that uh because we're not perceiving things that means we're not telling ourselves any story nothing is contacted you know, so there is no feelings left not even mm. the feeling of the sukha. Now, this is what we mean by real equanimity at, the, at that deep level is when really there is no place to go. There's nothing to go anywhere, mm. but it's still mm. sharp. Okay, so we'll talk about that kind of stuff at a later time. Right now, what Absolutely. you need I mean, start... I'm, still in, I'm still in the first jhana phase. You know, I haven't even got that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's no, by no means... You know, stay, stay so all of this stuff is well documented, but the important point is, is that the path to enlightenment is through the first jhana and that these other things are just kind of natural progressions of what do you do when you're in first jhana. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the next Bonus thing. Features, been, yeah. All right. So now what we've talked about is, is that we've talked about applied and sustained thought. We've talked about pity. We've talked about sukha and we've talked about equanimity. Now let's talk about some of the other things that we can take as objects of meditation. All right, which is are in fact the path factors themselves. How Sighting. how is my sati? How sharp is it? How sharp is it? How fast mm. is it? Am I really paying attention? Thanks. Okay. The next one on that. That's a good one. Be, Very energizing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How how is my investigation? How is my discernment? Am I able to see what's wholesome and not wholesome? Can I tell the difference between it? Let's look at that because right now in the first jhana, of course we can. It's when we're all someplace else that we have trouble making that distinction. So basically, we're kind of congratulating ourselves at this level of look at we can actually see what's going on. Mm. We start paying attention to this as a factor of enlightenment. Mm. Okay, then in fact, this unremitting sati and unremitting um investigation are now objects that need to be investigated while we're in first jhana with the mind fit for work so that we can do this noting and investigating mm. okay as mm. that's the thing and here is where most people had fallen down all along including the buddhas that yeah he had first jhana he just he had all of them he just didn't know what to do with them he was looking for something to do with them like right. he wasn't just well, everybody was. you are too yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, yeah, not always. But... In, in, in fact, we always see almost everything in our lives as a means to an end. Yeah, 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 that's, def that's definitely the, the overriding. Yeah, there's always that overriding. Well, why yeah. did we do this? Or what's the point? Or how do I feel if I get what yeah. I want? All yeah. of that kind of stuff going on. But literally, this is nothing but just one state of satisfaction. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper into just more satisfaction. It's like um, 
it's like this is a yet another way I like to conceptualize it, I guess. Yeah. Well, I say like to, but it's it's not it's not how I'd normally phrase it. But um, it's kind of like it's like you're doing it for its. Well, I've, I've heard it phrased this way. I guess I do like to. Um, it's like doing it for its own sake, sort of like there's no there's no reason for it. It's like a, like reasonless happiness. Would you say sort of like like you, you you're doing it without like like a, a reason to do it. It just sort of it's like for the sake of it, like. Yeah, there, but you're not doing it for the sake of anything. That in fact, it's all—it's the baseline, bottom state that was already there. Okay. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more yeah. like a like, like a non-doing than a doing, it or is, like a stopping of no, doing. I think I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vikka Buddhadasa has a book, and the name of the book uh, that you can find online is Hunger and Happiness, where he talks about this most specifically. Um, and the first thing that we have to do is to understand what hunger is and what is happiness. So, um, imagine that you were in the desert and that you'd run out of water. And you're thirsty. You're this is possibly your last day. And you just climb just another sand dune and you look down and there's a real oasis, a real one. You know it's real, it's not a massage because this oasis has uh camels and coochie goochie dancers mm. and mm. pond of water and uh, uh palm trees and all of that. And so you take off running down there with great anticipation. Oh, we've made it. Right. As we're approaching the water, that's what we call anticipation and we can call it excitement or it is the the knowledge that I'm about to get what I want. Mm. OK, and so that's kind of a fulfillment, knowing that you're going to get what you want. But then later, what happens is you put your face in the water, you drink as much as you can and you roll over on your back in the shade of a palm tree and relax. Now there's a mm. difference. There's a main difference, a big difference between running down the hill to get the water and being satisfied because you've already got it. They're, right. they're both they're both um they're both sort of what I would I guess now think of as like first jhana feelings. Like the 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 overriding attitude is 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 like positive and optimistic. But there is, yeah, there's a very big difference between the two. All right. So for the beginner, though, it still has that quality of uh, uh, in the process of getting filled. Mm, mm. But real happiness is so happy that we don't want anything. It's like the difference between um, being hungry, ordering a meal and eating it versus not bothering to order food because you don't want any food. Yeah, it's like what you were saying before with with the the depths of the wholesomeness of the thoughts. It can it can be still over that sort of like that first jhana threshold of wholesomeness where it kind of flips over and it's it's wholesome, but there's 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 depths and there's subtleties there and we might even be unconscious of them. Like we might think, you know, that me being super motivated and maybe like I'm really motivated so I'm really focusing on like um I can't remember the Pali word for it you used, but it's like seeing how fast you can you can like be refreshing that sort of, that refresh rate of that first jhana, right? And mm -hmm. and we might we might we might even think that's like that's like the best, but but thinking it's the best 
that's like a subtle unwholesomeness because now you're implying something's better than other things. Then there's, a, there's exactly. you know, it's like even if, if even if you're being the best now, well, what happens when you fall out of it inevitably, right? Now, oh, it's not the best anymore, right? And so staying with, wow, this is nice. That's a yeah. good way of, of saying this is nice. That's brilliant, this man. Nice. Yeah. Because that's, that's actually the statement of the first John. This is nice. Because see, in mm. the second John, you don't even say this is nice. <laughs> and so about the last thing that happens then with that first John is, is that as the mind gets more collected, uh, we first start off in wholesome and we remain wholesome, but we begin to corral the mind into smaller and smaller places so that we can get it down to maybe uh, like a poem that we repeat over and over and over again that we like. And an example of that, which is actually not a bad meditation, is to just keep going over and over and over again was the night before Christmas and all through the house and not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. But Emily would care yeah. and St. Nicholas would soon be there and on my kerchief and I, mine or cap and had just settled down for a long winter's nap when out on the lawn there arose such a clatter I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Okay, now I'm going to cut it off there. I can go on with it, but let's... um. Let's stop because there's other things that we can say, and one of them that is often used is ipiti so bhagawa araha samma sambuto icha charana sampano lo vapitu anutara purisustamasa deva manusanambuto bhagawati. <laughs> and so that one's another one. Now, uh, and we can get it um, in a in a sing-songy way because that those kind of things are long enough. You have to keep thinking through and keeping your mind on it and do yeah, it, it over and over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. And and so these are very good things that get the mind right into first jhana. And yeah, it's satisfying just, as well when it's got like a sing-songy. Oh, it's just yeah. so satisfying. Yeah, you get into fact, it. It's really uh -huh. encouraging for the mind. Yeah. Well, you saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, I was getting into it too. Okay, so yeah. then um, as we do that, we begin now to, to get the mind so that it's only on that one little point. We can then go down to a mantra length so that we're just repeating the mantra over and over and over again, but we do it with the same joy, the same gusto, the same, wow, this is really great. An example of that would be boo on the in-breath and do on the out-breath. This is from Northeast Thailand. Budo is the mm -hmm. mantra. But that's the only thing that we've got. That's the only thought that's left is the thought boo on the in-breath and do on the out-breath. Now the mind is actually quite stable. That's almost to the point that the cow herd has now put the, the, uh, uh, the cows in the pasture and it's time for him to go sit down. Mm. Because if you can go for boo on the in-breath and do on the out-breath and then let that out-breath extend, then you don't say boo on the next in-breath. You leave it silent. And when that happens, wow, how nice it is. You can actually stop the mind. In fact, almost every time when somebody goes into second genre, the first thing they do is pop right back out of it so that they can congratulate themselves. <laughs>
that's that's it. That was my experience, man. That was my experience. I was like, I, I, I was the first time. The first time I got um, second jana. It's kind of a funny story, actually, just because it's so like it's it's it's. I don't know if it's a cliche, but it sounds like it could be. I I'd had like I just had like an emotional meltdown. Like I was really tearing up and stuff because I was I was dealing with like some mental health issues, and I was like, and I really wanted to like get like spiritual enlightenment, like the final enlightenment, so that I could just like you know not have to do anything and exert any effort for it, right? Yeah, and it was I'd, I'd given up on that. You didn't need any enlightenment. I, it, it was it was right it was right after <laughs> I I had this like break, meltdown so hard that I just like completely gave up on my like dreams of dream at the time of being coming enlightened that I actually got like a second jhana for the first time. And what it was like, I went in and then I popped back out and I was like, that's crazy. I wish I could go into that, but I could still be me while I'm enjoying it, you know, instead of like losing sort of my sense of self so significantly, like such a huge portion of it. Well, actually, one of the best ways to understand self is by noticing the difference between these jhana states, which has no self in it, it just has experience. And the ordinary state, which has the subject of self, is because it's the self that does the suffering. If there's no self, who's going to suffer? You can almost think of it as dukkha needs a bucket to be carried in to get here. Mm. Mm. That that mm, is they go, they, that, go, they go hand in hand. They are the same thing. Here's another way of saying it is, is that if you are or if someone is clinging to something, the clinging requires a clinger as well as that which is clung upon. Mm which we call the Klingon if you're into Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's the clinging, the clinger, and the Klingon. And we cling on to things yeah, by, yeah. by the self. The self is what does the clinging. That's the arisal of the self, is that which is created in order to do the clinging. Mm, mm. Or that be which, exerting that painful effort, yeah. Right, right. It's the me that has the pain. Mm. Clear example of that. You look out the window and you see a fire. And you become curious. You go look and you see it's a car on fire. And then you become more curious. And then you see it's your car on fire. And now it's not curiosity anymore. It's panic. Mm, mm, <laughs> it's yeah. my car. My yeah. car. <laughs> and so when that self comes in, that's when the pain comes in. Because it's the self that has the pain. And we have been creating that. Another way of saying it is, is that the self-preservation mechanism it's kind of like a jack-in-the-box. And when the button is pushed, the door opens and out pops the cell. But yeah, it's, it's like a little like a little, re like a little reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, little triggers and then the thought pops <laughs> up. It's like, oh. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, oh, it's too not... much pity. <laughs> it just like pops his head out. Yeah. yeah. So we do that. We, we create a cell. And you can begin to watch that happening but it is better if you can watch it happening from the first jhana because that is in fact the development of the first jhana is watching the stuff come up as hindrances the selfishness mm. 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 so in the sustaining of the first jhana that's when we actually by failing to maintain the first jhana is when we actually get our education because still the mind is so sharp that if you see what happened, we went down a rabbit hole. But now we can see the going down the rabbit hole rather than having it blindly. 
Mm, mm. Then yeah. we say, wait a minute, I'm not going in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pull it back out, or you can get swallowed into it. But this is part of the skill that is developed of this applied and sustained thought or being able to sustain the first jhana. It's and it's kind like of it's I kind said, of it's kind of interesting because it's almost like the way you get out of it's kind of like the same way you got into it. I don't know if you've heard of the like don't think about pink elephants. Like it's like a phrase. It says don't think about pink elephants, and then all you can think about is pink elephants. And so it's similar. It's like it's like don't think about like um like suffering or something. But then all you can think about is suffering. But now you're mindful of it. You can't. You're seeing it every time it's happening, right? Well, actually, there's even a better way for the teacher to do it, and that is the, the, the elephants aren't pink. That you're the one who sees it pink, and you just saw it pink again. Oh, I know. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but don't say pink. Oh, the pink, the elephants are not pink. I'm trying to force them gray. <laughs> yeah, they keep flickering okay. back and forth. Well, yeah. that's the mind. It, keep, it comes and goes like that. Okay, so begin to see it that way. That's, that's why that that kind of phrase is there is um, so that the person who's listening to that can recognize that yes, they did think about the elephant, even though they didn't want to, they, they were coaxed into it or that it was a hole that we fell into or mm, mm. But There was now some slipperiness to it, yeah. So we can now see that process and begin to see that imagery as it pops instantly into mind. And in fact, how how quickly can you pa pass back and forth between gray and pink and gray and pink and gray and pink and gray and pink? It's it's kind of it's weird because the, I've tried to do I've tried to do an exercise like that before, um, and sometimes like the I guess the the I would think I would be getting faster, but it it gets to a point where it it. it it, like it kind of like the, the more effort I apply kind of like like it's like it. Oh, but you're still wanting something yeah. out of it. I'm just playing slower. Mine. But the point that I was making is you get a load that you go the mind flips back and forth and here you are trying to get something out of it, making it faster or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like okay. as an exercise to like see how fast I can notice like like two, well, like like two sensations at once or like because because it seems to flick back and forth. Right. It's like. It, it's like it's like something gets stuck it's stuck in the cogs a little bit if, if i don't know there's like there's like a there's like a point it keeps happening though i don't know if you've experienced that but right well, <laughs> what weird. i'm recommending then though is just to look at all of what's going on including the fact that you want to make it faster mm, mm, mm. that you're still wanting stuff that this is the part that we need to look at then in fact that's how the distinction between wholesome and unwholesome is is that the wholesome thoughts is because we want something oh man you know i i i, I called out the, the mind for the same thing and then i the mind like fell into it i did that earlier in the in the um in our conversation i was like you know you, you for example you blind loads of speed and you you think it's like the best way and I, and I can I can totally get into that you know it's like yeah I get that with work as well like being productive you can you can really get into it but it's still that there's there's like it's yeah it's you know yeah so what we're here practicing and yeah. you can practice it right now with me is practicing that really everything's already okay we don't have to get anything like the 
the Zen, tell the Zen student, the Zen master says you're already enlightened. Just sit here. He's got a point. Just sit. I mean, just enjoy your moment. That's the whole point of the first John is just to sit. And can you continue just to sit and enjoy? That's the whole point of like all four paths, isn't it? <laughs> and yet here we are trained in our society to get something, to attain something, to attain jhanas, to get this stuff, to get sotapat, mm. to get mm. enlightened, to get arahat, to get a nibbana, as mm. if it were a goal to have. That if there's any goal that's not a goal at all, that in fact you can think of a goal is how hot you can get something, then Nibbana is to stop trying to see how hot you can get something and leave things alone. That's Nibbana. That in fact the actual word means just to chill. Mm. Maybe just chill. Don't yeah. have to want anything. I don't need Nibbana. I have to chill wanting Nibbana. Just chill. Yeah. That's it's funny that it's it's funny that like chill is like a slang word in English, but it is sort of like a a cold versus a hot kind of kind of um, like a cold versus it's, hot. It it is energy. in all languages, and it was in the time of the Buddha also. That's what the word was used for. It has also the quality of domesticated animals, like dogs don't bark because they're demand. Or that when you take food on, out of the oven, like a pizza pie or something, you take it right out of the oven, it's too hot to eat. you got to let it cool off a bit. And then you can eat it. That's in the nibbana. Okay? So all you have to do is come out of your own mental oven, and you can just chill. Yeah, yeah. You can cool off while it cools off. Yeah, yeah just, just, just uh, uh, you know, turn the gas off or turn the heat off. Stop thinking about anything. But wanting to chill is stoking the fire. Oh, it's it's so counterintuitive, yeah. Wanting to chill stokes the fire. You are you don't need to chill, you're already okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that's the speed, man. That's the speed. That's the speed. <laughs> <laughs> that's the speed it's so fast yeah so yeah i want to chill and i just lost it so fast i didn't even <laughs> know it happened man i didn't even know it that's why I was, like my reaction was so big exactly okay so yeah. go go practice go play with this now you have some new toys today to play with <laughs> oh hell yeah yeah perfect man <laughs> brilliant brilliant I'm loving this. I'm loving this, man. I'm learning a lot. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you again. We'll All right. Now and, and you're good to go right now. You're, I'm, I'm going to meditate right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. All right. Ciao. Have a great day. Bye-bye.